For those that don't know, I am currently in New Orleans. A lot of times, some of these breakups can be ugly. It can be bad in which the player is very unhappy. But I, I had a, a really good split in which both parties felt like we were doing what was best for our individual selves. Me doing what's best for me and my family. The players are doing what's best for their organization. And I'm thankful to have spent, you know, nine years in Portland and have learned a lot, have worked with some great people uh, that I will miss dearly. And now I'm thankful to make my transition to New Orleans. Ben Simmons, James Harden. That was a huge, huge trade. I honestly think Brooklyn won the trade. Brooklyn got exactly what they were missing. They were missing a versatile big who doesn't need the ball. And I kind of felt like James was going to get traded by the deadline because the rumblings were that he wasn't happy. If they didn't trade him, they were going to lose him for nothing in free agency. So that was a smart thing to do for them. And I think it's going to work out well for all parties involved. People aren't talking about Giannis dominance enough. He's averaging 29 points per game, 11 rebounds, six assists. He looks happy as ever. He's doing some things that we've never seen before while dominating in the paint. I think it's crazy that people are starting to take his greatness for granted. Welcome to the 131st episode of Pull Up. That's right, 131 episodes. And as we record this, it is Wednesday, but this will release on Thursday, February 17th. And on this day, February 17th in 1986, Manuk Bowl of the Washington Bullets blocked 10 shots in a 96-94 win over the Los Angeles Clippers. I am a big fan of Bowl Bowl. His son, Manuk Bowl's son, skilled, athletic, he's tall. His ability to shoot, you know, at that height is something that I think is extremely impressive because generally guys over seven foot have huge hands, uh, which means that it's very hard to shoot the basketball. It's kind of like shooting uh, a softball or one of those types of items into the into the basket. So I give him credit for working on his skill set, his ability to not only alter shots, but his ability to handle and everything like that is extremely impressive. But shout out to Munuk Bowl and specifically shout out to his son, Bowl Bowl, on being able to have that father-son combination of preps to pros. For those that don't know, I am currently in New Orleans. NOLA, as I've learned, it's it's called, not NOLIA. I am enjoying my time here, and I'll get into that a bit later. But now I want to just kind of relive and, and just talk about the trade process for me as a player who's been in the league nine years. I've seen many trades go down. I've seen the name tags come down from the lockers. I've seen guys find out on Twitter. I've seen guys find out on ESPN. Back in the day, I've heard about guys finding out at at gas stations while pumping gas, they were traded. So there's all different types of stories. I think um, there's a guy that was traded during the during the trade deadline who, when he landed in the city, he found out he was traded again uh, upon getting Wi-Fi. So there's all different types of stories uh, that have continued to occur throughout our time. But I'm thankful that that story did not happen to me. My story was a lot different. I was actually involved in the process. I was able to speak to our front office, specifically Joe, about the transition that I was potentially going to make, what that would look like for not only myself and my family, but what potential teams I could be going to. And it was a great adult conversation that we had and one I'm thankful for, in which I was a, uh, able to be a part of the process and able to be aware of everything that was going down uh, once we kind of decided that it was in my better interest to continue to perform and, and be a basketball player somewhere else. It was just a great conversation, a situation in which I'm, I'm thankful uh, we were able to, you know, work out a deal in which I was able to to go to a team where I was wanted, to go to a team where I was needed and, and able to kind of 
be my best self. And the Blazers were able to get some assets. Obviously, Josh Hart. They got some young players that they ended up moving. And they were able to create cap space uh, for future plans and, and flexibility, which was extremely important to our, our team and our front office. And uh, I think a lot of times some of these breakups can be ugly. It can be bad in which the player is very unhappy or the organization is very unhappy and there's bad blood. And, you know, kind of going forward, there's animosity that may be held against each other. But I, I had a, a really good split in which both parties, you know, felt like we were doing what was best for our ind- individual selves, me doing what's best for me and my family. The Blazers doing what's best for their organization. And I'm thankful to have spent, you know, nine years in Portland, nine and a half, and have learned a lot and have worked with some great people uh, that I will miss dearly, teammates, staff, um, everyone across the board has been, you know, fantastic in not only my development, but in, in making my transition, you know, from Lehigh to, to Portland well. And, and now I'm thankful to make my transition to New Orleans, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to really go into detail about the conversations that we had, but, you know, they, they were great conversations in which we just kind of expressed, you know, how much, you know, this organization meant to me, how much I meant to the organization and, and how, you know, based on the things that I've been able to accomplish and the things that I've been able to do, you know, not only in the community, but on the floor that, you know, I, I earned the right to, to be a part of the transition for me to, to potentially go to another team. And uh, I'm just extremely thankful that I didn't find out on Twitter. And I, and I let Joe and, the, and the, the, the front office know that I was appreciative and thankful that we were able to, to work something out in which I was readily available and involved in the conversation, in which Joe and I spoke constantly, you know, the past month and a half or so, just kind of just talking, touching base, staying, staying in the know on things that may come up, teams that may have been calling and teams that may have been of interest um, to me, which is is very rare. So I give Joe a lot of credit who's, you know, first time GM right now as an intern, having to handle a lot of different things, having to adjust to a lot of different things, you know, with this responsibility, especially with what we've gone through this season from trade speculation to actually making trades to, you know, investigations within our organization to Dame getting surgery in the middle of the season to, you know, having to balance all of those things along with hiring and firing people throughout this year. I, I give him a lot of credit um, for sure. And my agent and I, Sam, I, I know we're definitely grateful and thankful that we were able to to work something out. And my family, my wife, everyone is, is really happy with where I'm at now, the situation that I'm in and how we're going to be able to kind of progress going forward. I wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune and I have a really funny story that I want to share because a lot of people are probably curious, you know, the process that goes into that. How did I go from Oregon to New Orleans to playing a game to having a piece come out kind of like in between games, uh, especially the detail that went into the piece and the amount of attention that it took uh, to execute. I get traded approximately 7 or 8 a.m., give or take an hour or two. Everything is finalized later on in the day. I think the the Blazers end up playing a game that night uh, against the Lakers, I believe. We were playing the Lakers that night. Maybe it was the first night of a back-to-back. I can't remember. But we were playing a game, and Chauncey couldn't really talk about the trade because the details weren't finalized yet, but I knew I was going to New Orleans. But I had never been a part of that process before, so I wasn't really sure when I could tell my people that it was true. So I only told my mom and my dad um, that I was going to New Orleans, and I kind of knew in advance, so I kind of prepped them that I was probably going to be going to New Orleans, and I would be you know, leaving probably mid to late part of the week. Fast forward to the trade actually happening and then me kind of figuring out when I was going to leave and go to New Orleans. 
my little man had a doctor's appointment, so I told Griff, executive vice president of, of basketball operations, and I speak to Trajan, I tell him that I want to go to little man's um, doctor's appointment. And by little man, I mean my son, his one-month checkup. And we actually moved the doctor's appointment up because it was originally scheduled for an off day. We had a back-to-back and designated off day, and I was going to go to the appointment on that day. But I moved it up because I wanted to get to New Orleans as fast as possible to play against the Miami Heat. So I move up the appointment to noon, and I tell Griff and Trajan that I can fly out at 4 o'clock. I, I, I just need some time to, to, to make sure my son gets to his appointment and leaves the appointment. I don't want my wife carrying, carrying him because... You know, she just had a baby, and there's a there's a, a weight requirement for how much weight she can carry and things that she can do uh, postpartum. So we get it done. I take my time. I eat lunch or whatever, and I'm actually starting to write the story for the Players Tribune. And the, the initial process for the Players Tribune story is that you know we do a Zoom call or an audio call, and they record everything, and then we kind of piece together the information and write the story. So I'm in the car. I have a, a driver taking me to the airport. All my bags are packed up. I had packed. I had started packing a little while ago. My brother told me, like, you need to start packing now. So I began to kind of get things in order, get suitcases ready, you know, undergarments, socks, a couple suits, just in case, you know, something went down so that I wasn't scrambling to try to pack last minute and leave. So I was kind of organized and everything was ready. And we pull up to the aviation and I got my headphones in. I'm literally talking about, you know, how much I love Portland and what this city means to me and telling stories about Dame and Nurk and staff and LaMarcus. And, you know, if you read the piece, you'll, you'll hear all the stories. And I don't know the tail number. All I know is that Mrs. Benson, the owner of the Pelicans and the owner of the Saints, sent her plane for me and that I'm leaving at four o'clock. So my driver has the tail number. He reads the tail number to the lady and the lady says, that plane already left. And I'm on the phone, like, doing my article with Players Tribune, and I tell the guy, I'm like, hey, Sean, I'm going to call you back. There's, there seems to be an issue with my plane. The lady is saying that the plane already left, but that's crazy because I'm just getting here. It's 4.03. Like, this is a private plane. There's no way the plane left. So I hang up the phone, and the lady's like, no, I'm not kidding. I'm looking at the monitor. Uh, that plane is over Boise right now. And I'm like, What? So the driver pulls the car up to the aviation. I get out and I'm talking to the lady and she's like, yeah, that plane left. It's over boys. They left about 45 minutes ago, 35, 45 minutes ago. I said, who was on the plane? She's like, I don't know. I said, you didn't look to see who was on the plane. She said, it was a tall guy. I said, it was a tall black guy. She's like, yeah. I was like, was it Tony Snell? <laughs> she's like, yeah, I think it was Tony Snell. So I text Tony. I said, bro, did you leave me? Question mark. And I forgot Tony has a Blackberry. Uh, Tony's one of the, the rare people in America that have a BlackBerry still. And what I didn't realize is that Mrs. Benson's plane doesn't have Wi-Fi or it didn't for this flight. So he never got my text. So I call Ashley, call my wife. I hit Griff. I hit Sam. And I'm like, um, I think the plane left. I don't know what you guys want me to do, but I'm just sitting here. Like They're all apologizing. They don't know there's a miscommunication. There's a lot of issues that kind of went down, I guess. And the pilot never either didn't check the manifest, whatever the case may be. Long story short, the lady's like, oh, the plane's turning around. I'm looking at the, the monitor. The plane's turning around. Like Griffin and called me and said that the plane's going to be turning around. They'll be there within the hour to get me. And they're so sorry about the, the, the miscommunication. The pilot just left. I guess he left on his own, whatever the case may be. Long story short, I see Tony. I said, Tony, why, why did you leave me, bro? He said, honestly, I had a late night with my sons. They were up. And... I was just so tired. I got on a plane, went to sleep. I said, you just went to sleep? Like, you didn't think that, like, maybe I was flying with you? He said, bro, I thought you left me. 
I said, so you thought I left you, but you didn't think to text me or call me. He's like, I'm so sorry, man. Like, I, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know. That's my fault, bro. Like, I just passed out. And they woke him up to tell him that they were turning around to come get me. So he he drove or flew in like an hour, had to come back an hour. Long story short, he had a very long day. And I made it to New Orleans. I'm happy to be in New Orleans. And I think this is one of the best stories that I've been able to tell, you know. And I don't think anybody can relate to being left by a private plane. But I do know that these are great first world problems. These are what they call rich people problems. And one that I'm thankful to be a part of in which... I can make a joke about a plane leaving me, but also circling back to come get me. But I think it's just super funny that that's how, you know, <laughs> that's how this whole process started for me, you know, becoming a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. But back to the story uh, for the players Tribune. So I was so distraught. I went and got some Chipotle and relaxed, had some water. And we ended up finishing the story the next day and just kind of tightened up some of the some of the, the storytelling aspects of it, the timelines on a lot of things. And then, you know, I basically go through and edit everything and make sure that it's to my liking, send it to Ashley, she signs off on it. And then we just figure out the release time. And I wanted to, to get the story out before I played my first game, but everything happened so fast. And then the plane ended up leaving me. And then I got in at, you know, 1230 at night and I didn't have time to kind of edit and go through it. And I didn't want to dis- disturb my natural game day routine. So we ended up finishing the story after the Miami Heat game the next day. And we released it around 4 or 5 p.m. Central Time. And I honestly wasn't sure what people were going to think about it. I just remember, you know, Ashley saying that, you know, it was a real, real tearjerker and that she cried. And I was just confused. And I was like, is that good or bad? And as, as I kind of read through the story again, I said to my wife, she was like, this is really good. And she was like, it kind of really captures, you know, your experience, your career here in Portland and what it's meant to us and our family. And she was like, I'm really happy that you were able to, to, to kind of express that in a way in which that they could all relate to from a storytelling standpoint. And I thought that was the biggest thing. You know, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, the storytelling was genuine, but it also covered multiple years of my career. I didn't want to just tell stories about you know, what it was like in 2022. I wanted to kind of touch on my rookie year, you know, some of the rookie duties that I had to do. I wanted to really touch on my playing experience, the doubts that I went through early on in my career when I wasn't playing. I wanted to really touch on the relationships I had with Dame, specifically sharing a backcourt with him for, for nine and a half years. I wanted to talk about Nurk and like paint the picture to what Nurk truly was like off the court, drinking all the coffee, having cats, giving me a furbo, watching Bosnian television. Like I, I think... When you tell those types of stories, people really get the full picture of, you know, not only the love I share with my teammates in, in that city, but also what these people are truly like. And then to put the icing on the cake, like being able to talk about, you know, some personal things that, you know, maybe people deserve to hear about, like, you know, Dame telling me that he, I'm going to make him cry and, and stuff like that. I think that's just cool because people then are able to truly grasp um, the full picture of, what that era of basketball meant to me and what that era of life meant to me, you know, nine and a half, almost 10 years. Fast forward, I land in New Orleans. I end up playing against the Miami Heat and my phone is blowing up, you know, throughout the process. Just delayed texts uh, from from staff, from players, you know, as the days are going on. I actually signed some jerseys before I left for some staff and and some players and I got some very uh, heartwarming, heartfelt texts calls, FaceTimes, and I think it was just cool to speak to so many people that meant so much to me um, where I could just kind of express my gratitude. And I think it was just 
the fact that most of the messages were centered around how like quiet it was around the facility and how it was like you, you don't really truly know what someone means to the organization and to you until they're gone and how people were, you know, just kind of like just sad, like just very sad. And they said like it just felt like there was a void or something missing, you know, around the, the facility and the culture. And I did get a funny text from Cody uh, that I'm going to read out loud because um, I know he wouldn't mind it. He texted me and... Um, one of the things I always do when I get out of the shower, and I'm going to actually do this here in New Orleans too, is that if somebody leaves a towel out or undergarments, you know, tights or whatever, I take a picture, record a video, and put it in a group chat and basically tell the staff and the whole team, like, yo, y'all don't have, you know, caretakers. You know what I mean? Like, people's job is to wash our clothes and stuff like that, but the least you can do is put it in the bin. Put your dirty clothes in the dirty clothes bin. Put your towels, your washcloths in the bin. Cody sends me a picture and he says, one day without you in Portland and someone leaves this by the shower. Crazy. And then he, he goes on to talk about like the impact that I had, you know, on the organization, on the team. And he was like, the mood around the facility has been very somber, but you can really tell from the impact that you've had on staff, trainers, performance staff, everyone. And, and you know, a lot of other stuff that he shared was private. But I, the same sentiment was basically expressed by a lot of people, neighbors, you know, that that were around the community from from me, Um some of my friends in the wine space, advisors, were more so talking about, you know, my character and, and kind of the impact I had on the community. And I think there was a really cool story by a, a young journalist uh, who I actually mentored that I think that really probably touched me uh, more than anything because he talked about confidence that was instilled in him from Press Pass specifically, which I thought was really, really dope. And the kid now is, is no longer a kid. He's a man who is basically covering games for the Blazers as well. His name is Jaden Coleman. And I think I posted about how he started off in CJ's press pass and is now actually covering games as a journalist for the Portland Trailblazers. Um, but I have so much to talk about, including my time you know, here in New Orleans so far. I've played four games to date. Uh, unfortunately, we're one in three, but we're still figuring each other out, figuring out the chemistry, the cohesiveness, where guys like to be out on the court. And I've only technically had three practices because one of the games was a back-to-back. So I've had one practice and two shoot-arounds and some individual workouts. So still learning the place, still using my GPS to get to the facility. I did venture out to a restaurant the other night. And, and finally, um, was able to to eat outside of uh, my hotel. And the food here in New Orleans is sensational. And I, I got a, a glimpse of that early on. I did have some collard greens and ham hocks, some red beans and rice, some grilled seafood, among other fried foods. I have some king cake in my room that I'm going to have as soon as All-Star break starts. I'm trying to wait to make sure my body's still feeling good for these games before I introduce it. But my time here has been sensational. I love it. The people have been great to me. They've been so kind and nice. The Southern hospitality is very, very real. I love the direction the franchise is heading in terms of young talent, you know, with BI, with Zion, with, with JV, D. Graham, Herb. There's a lot of good players who do things the right way, work hard, and genuinely just like care. And I could tell by how they welcomed me, how cool they've been, sharing things with me, teaching me plays and the flow of the game. And then also taking feedback from me, you know, like an outsider who kind of came in and has become one of them, being able to honestly kind of critique them and, and, and share my thoughts on certain things, certain situations, trying to help guys uh, put them in position to succeed. And then also allowing them to know that, hey, like, it's cool, like coach me too. I want to be good for this team. I want to make sure I'm doing things the right way. And you can hold me accountable and I'm not above that. I think it was important for me to say those things, but um, it's been cool. 
it's very unique to play for a new team, having done things the same way for so long in terms of preparation, you know, what Willie's doing pregame, what he's doing postgame. Uh, one of the things I really like about what we do pregame is that uh, we pray before the game as a team. And I've never been on a team where we've done that before in my life. And I, I think that just kind of shows you the character of Willie and, and how he's programming also the fact that we're in the, in the South. I think the play calls are different. In Portland, when we switched, it was black. Uh, with New Orleans, it's red. We blew on the sides. They call it down. Um, pick pick is a 77 action, so basically a double drag and transition. For us, you know, generally, we keep it on the side. For them, they switch to keeping it on the side, so it's basically a red to a down or a red to an ice. There's a lot of different terminologies. We called it one fist, which was a zipper action where I would start at the block. It would be a pin down. I would catch the ball, and I would have a mid-pick mid and roll or a ball screen. We call it basic rub. Our quick action is their point, which is basically an away screen and transition and flow. So there's all these terms that are different to me, but mean the same actions. And I'm trying to pick up on them slowly but surely. And I think one of the cool things about this offense is that BI is, is so unique to where we have a lot of continuity plays where there's just reads where we, we might call three side. Three side is basically him lining up at the elbow cutting off a screen into an ISO, but if he doesn't like it, he gets either a side pick and roll or he can swing into a split action where basically he's playing in a three-man game where he hits the big and he's able to either set a screen, receive a screen, or go back and get the ball. So it's it's almost triangle vibe sometimes in some of our ISO situations. And triangle basically reverts back to Phil Jackson and, and what the Lakers ran to where a lot of it is movement, a lot of it is reads. You have the initial call, then you have to adjust based on spacing, player personnel, and what you want to do. So I'm getting in where I fit in. I've been very efficient. And outside of that first game where I was just tired and sluggish and felt mentally and physically drained, I've been pretty efficient. Still settling in and figuring out where I'm going to get my shots from, figuring out defensive terminologies and rotations. But all in all, it's been really, really cool. And I'm looking forward to continuing to adjust one more game before the break. And then I can go see my little man, see my wife, watch some film, break some things down, and also try to win a three-point contest. But I got a lot of new teammates and I'm still learning like habits um, that these guys have. I'm still learning, you know, who's the funny jokester guy on game day, who takes things like too seriously and who's kind of laid back and chill. But so far, I think, you know, I've enjoyed being around Jose, Gary, D. Graham, Jackson Hayes. But I think Willie Hernan Gomez is the most energetic teammate I've ever played around in my life outside of Justin Maneri from from Lehigh. He reminds me of the the, the guy on uh, Ted Lasso, the super excited character. I don't know if you watch Ted Lasso. I forget the guy's name, but super excited, high energy. He's from Spain, so he's always speaking in Spanish. He's always excited, always positive. Really, really good dude. Herb, I love his game. Super laid back, super chill, just wants to be better. We've already had some conversations about real estate, the importance of, you know, figuring out other ways to create income. And he's a guy that I'm definitely looking forward to taking under my wing. And then B.I. is just cool as a fan, super hardworking, super quiet, super laid back. I introduced him to some TV shows. He's now uh, uh, watching P-Valley on Stars. If you haven't seen it, I definitely think you should check it out. It's hilarious, but definitely for adult crowds only. <laughs> Trey Murphy, another Excel guy, young young bull, is is learning Justin well, having fun with him, having fun with Larry Nance. But I always say, out of out of all the players, Willie has definitely made the, the greatest impression. But GT is a guy I'm I'm 
I'm excited to work alongside being on the executive committee, learning so much, you know, from his off the court acumen to being able to play alongside him and him being a Baton Rouge native, born and raised, him being here in New Orleans, I know it means a lot to him. And, and I have another uh, Euro big in, in JV who's extremely funny. He reminds me a lot of Nurk in terms of how he approaches the game, how he works, but also how free-spirited and blunt he is. I think it's just so cool how, as a blunt person, you just really gravitate towards being around people who just say exactly what they think and feel and see. So that's been fun. As I turn the page and, and get ready for All-Star break, this will be my third time in the three-point contest, and the others haven't fared great. So I think my approach for this one is to not think about it at all. I haven't practiced at all. I actually went 0 for 5 from 3 last game. But it's completely different shooting off the rack than it is catch and shoot. And I will take the practice slot. I will, you know, figure out my technique. Do I pull from the left side of my body or pull from the right side of my body in terms of where the rack's at? But if I'm going to win it, this is the year to do it. It's in Cleveland. I'm not taking it too seriously. I'm not putting pressure on myself. And... Um, the worst thing that can happen is that I lose and I've already lost. So I think that's a great mentality to have. And I don't know what I've gotten historically. I'm going to watch. I think the Pelicans just posted uh, my 2017 uh, three-point contest in which I probably shot some air balls. But I will hit the rim each time. I guarantee that. And I will try to get over 20. So that's my approach to the three-point contest. I will be in and out for all-star breaks and meetings and things of that nature. And then I can't wait to go see my son. I wasn't the only player traded, although it's hard for you all to believe. I know I was the, the most important piece moved during the deadline. There were some other pieces that I guess were semi-important, um, like Ben Simmons, like James Harden. That was a huge, huge trade, if I do say so myself. And looking at the trade, I've been talking to my group chats with my friends. I've been speaking to people. I honestly think Brooklyn won the trade. And I'm a big James Harden fan. I like him. I like what he has to offer. But I think Brooklyn got exactly what they were missing. They were missing a versatile big who doesn't need the ball. Ben Simmons is a point forward who... By doesn't need the ball, I mean he doesn't need to score. He's happy to pass, happy to guard, happy to do the little things that are required to win. And being in the Eastern Conference means you probably have to go through Giannis. And if you're the Brooklyn Nets, you don't want Katie to have to exert all his energy guarding Giannis the entire game. You want him to be able to rest sometimes. And you want him to also be able to be off the ball comfortably, understanding that they have a guy who can pass to Kyrie, obviously, if they're playing road games, who can pass to Seth Curry, one of the better shooters in the NBA, historically like a 44, 45% three-point shooter. And you get a backup big in Drummond who allows you to play, you know, big if you need to play big against certain teams. For instance, if you're playing the Sixers, you need another big to guard uh, Embiid. And you have a versatile wing in Ben Simmons who's going to be excited to play, excited to prove what he has to offer, and excited to really show his talents. But I think the key piece in that was they get the big, but then they get a shooter. Brooklyn won the trade, in my eyes, but I could be wrong. I like what James has to offer to the Sixers. I like the fact that he wants to be there. He's excited about being there, and Bede is excited to have him. Um, just curious to see how they're going to work. And Bede's never played with a ball-dominant guard like James before, and James has never played with a ball-dominant big like Embiid. So they're going to have some working out 
uh, issues, working out the kinks of touches, figuring out pick and roll play. And I think it'll be very important that their minutes are staggered at times so that they can be their truest selves. And James' truest self is flirting with triple doubles, 30 points, step backs, isolations, high volume, high usage, using a lot of the shot clock. And B is just getting right to it, playing in the post, playing on the um, off the elbows, initiating the offense and doing those things. So they'll have some adjustments to do. But I am excited to see March 10th when Brooklyn plays the Sixers. And having talked to a lot of my friends, I kind of felt like James was going to get traded by the deadline because the rumblings were that he wasn't happy. The rumblings were that there's some issues going on, you know, amongst the locker room and how they're playing. I think there was a there was a leak that said that he wanted to play one way, Kerr and Katie wanted to play another way, where it was more Kerr. Steve Nash and KD wanted to play one way, where it was more predicated on how the Warriors played, right? A lot of movement, a lot of continuity, a lot of people getting touches, equal opportunity. James wanted more ISO heavy um, basketball, high usage basketball to where things just weren't working out. So I'm not surprised he was traded because if they didn't trade him, they were going to lose him for nothing in free agency. So that was a smart thing to do for them. And I think it's going to work out well for all, all parties involved. I'll be interested in seeing if Ben Simmons plays on March 10th. He has some time to go through um, all-star break to learn the plays, to get back in game shape, to get some practices in. But it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with them in terms of really being able to play against his former team, potentially in Philadelphia, where the fans are very, very brutal, especially considering their circumstances. I look for them to have a potential potential playoff matchup that would be must-see TV, if you will. I'm not one to pay for many games uh, in the NBA, but that's a game that I would pay to see. A Brooklyn Sixers playoff game in which Ben has to go to Philly, James has to come to Brooklyn. It would be great for basketball, for sure. A lot of teams are playing well in the Eastern Conference. you got the Miami Heat, you got the Chicago Bulls, the Bucks, the Cavs are a sleeper. Brooklyn has been losing a lot of games as of late, but I don't really... I don't really read much into that because they have one of the best players in the NBA. And I think the top four teams in my eyes right now in the Eastern Conference in no particular order is the Bucks, the Nets, the Miami Heat, and the Chicago Bulls. I like all those teams for different reasons. I think I like the Miami Heat because of their culture, how versatile they are defensively, top two defensive team. They have a lot of switchability, which Basically means that Bam is so versatile, he can guard one through five. P.T. Tucker can guard one through five. Jimmy Butler can guard one through five. Kyle Lowry can guard one through three, some fours. They all have players who are willing to play certain roles, who are willing to defend, take charges, make the extra pass. And I just really like the Heat DNA in general. For the Bulls, it all starts with DeMar. He's playing at an MVP caliber level. He's got the Bulls playing some of their best basketball since, you know, Derrick Rose was there. He's efficient. Over 50, getting to it, 35 a night basically the last two weeks. And they have Zach Levine and Caruso's still hurt and they're still staying afloat. Caruso is a very, very good player, especially for playoff basketball where you got defending, you got veteran leadership, and you got a guy who doesn't care about scoring. You need players who can just play roles, especially around the playoff time. And he does just that. And then you have a post presence in Vucevic who can score, he can pick and pop, and he can knock down threes. So I really like them. The Bucs are obvious. They got Giannis. They got Mitty, Chris Middleton, 
Drew Holiday. Look forward to Pat getting back. Shout out to my guy Pat, who's out right now with a broken hand. They're just a very, very good team. Solid. Lopez should be back at some point. Really like what I'm seeing from them. Brooklyn's easy call. Kevin Durant, arguably the best player in the NBA, can score. Will be rejuvenated. He's been hurt for a while, so he'll come back fresh. He'll come back ready to play. Bring in Seth Curry. Get Kyrie, you know, for who knows how long. Maybe maybe some mandates change. Maybe they don't. But whenever you have KD, you have a chance. You add Kyrie. You add Ben Simmons. They become must-see TV once they're able to all get on the court together. Now for one of my favorite segments, pull up or dish. I am pulling up on the Celtics win streak, having played against them and beat them this season. They are a completely different team. They look like they actually like each other, which is important for basketball. They're playing well. They look like they're sharing the sugar, less isolation. Um, they bring in a key, key piece from the San Antonio Spurs. Um, and I think that Spurs DNA is, is, is very important because Pop has that 0.5 mentality, 0.5 rule, which means you shoot it, you dribble it, or you pass it within 0.5 seconds. You make a decision quickly, and it keeps the offense and continuity moving. And I think they're they're more so moving towards that to where Jalen Brown's getting downhill in a hurry. He's playing ISO when he has to, but he's still being more effective and more efficient with his movements. He's shooting better from the field. Jalen Brown is playing his best basketball of the season, probably because he's more comfortable, he's healthy, they have a whole unit together, the trade deadline's over, and he's probably pissed off he didn't make the All-Star game. So it's a combination of things to where they're playing really, really good basketball at the right time. They trade Dennis Schroeder. They trade some other players. Marcus Smart's healthy again, or was healthy. I think he left last game with an injury, but they are playing really, really good basketball. They have an NBA record, three straight road wins by at least 30 points. They beat the snot out of the Sixers the other night and actually play tonight for a chance to win their 10th straight game against the Pistons. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. I am dishing on them being a legit championship team, but I'm pulling up on them being a contender because when you have two players as good as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you have a chance to win playoff games. Jalen Brown has showed his consistency. He can get buckets. He can rebound. Great ball handler. Plays the pick and roll. Tatum can score 50 in a playoff game. So that's enough said. I really like what they have to offer. I have watched them some during this stretch. I've seen a lot of highlights, um, but I've also seen some of the half-court offense, and I've also seen the change in their defensive mentality. They've been playing a lot better defense, which has allowed them to get out and run in transition. And a team is completely different when they don't have to go up against a, a set defense, and I think they've showed that they have the capabilities of doing both. Get the dub, take the L. The L is definitely going to the Lakers this week. Um, they're sitting at 26 and 31 uh, at the time of this recording, which is ninth in the West, and they made no move to the deadline. Lakers fans are not happy. There's reports online every day about the uncertainty of the coach's future. I think each loss kind of cripples their franchise, uh, at least from a standpoint of their fans' perception of whether or not it's possible for this team to win a championship. Russ is in and out of the games in terms of playing some nights, some nights he's not playing. He talked about how his back was hurting and he said that he wasn't used to sitting down for long periods of time. I thought that was very funny, actually. That was one of the funnier quotes I've seen this season. But I think their team, now that they're past the deadline, now that players know they're going to be there for at least the rest of the season, I think that they will make a mini run. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure how far they'll go with this mini run, but I think the tie will turn a bit. AD being healthy will help. Brian being healthy will help. There's talk about Tristan Thompson potentially getting bought out. 
But shooting is what they really need. They need shooting. They need defense. Tristan will bring the defense. He won't bring the shooting. But I think the continuity will be better going forward. But I'm not sure about a championship for this team as the way it's currently constructed. But anything is possible when you got Braun and AD. I think that Braun believes they can get to the playoffs because that's what he's done historically. But I'm not sure he believes they're a championship caliber team yet because he's even talked about how they're not at the same level of the Milwaukee Bucks. They're not at the same level as some of those championship caliber teams yet. He's basically said they're just not there yet. And I think it's to be determined based on how they can progress after the All-Star break. Another team that's struggling is taking the L this week is the Warriors. They've lost three of the last four. At the time of this recording, their defense is really struggling. Even though they're top 10, Kerr went on record saying, we're not top 10 right now. We're in a... We're in a a bit of a funk. We're not rotating the way we've always rotated it. We're not getting after it. The shell isn't the same. The presence is not the same without Draymond. And Steph is still not fully out of his slump. Although he played well last game, he's still not back to MVP Steph just yet. But still, they're at, they're at second in the West. And Draymond, who's arguably the best defender of the NBA, is coming back at some point after the All-Star break. So I think the tie will turn from them. I think there's some issues right now with continuity because Clay. Is, is thrust back into the lineup. They're trying to get him in rhythm, trying to get him shots. He's getting more familiar with playing again. He's getting more familiar with being out there. And he's getting back to his old self, which will definitely help. I think Steph is going to definitely pick up the pace. This is the dog days of the season, January, February, Mark, where all-star break approaches. Guys are exhausted. They're tired. They're yearning for the break, literally, so they could take you know, vacations, be with their families, kind of escape the rigors of the day-to-day basketball that's associated with this life. And I think that he's definitely going to turn the page after All-Star break and get back into playoff mode. The dub of the week is definitely DeMar DeRozan. At the time of this recording, he has six consecutive games scoring 35-plus points while shooting at least 50% from the field. This record ties only Wilt Chamberlain. He has a chance to break that record tonight. His efficiency playing at the elbows, getting to his spots, his ability to manipulate a defense without shooting threes is unlike anything we've probably ever seen. He has pump fakes. He has footwork. He has handle. He's getting to the line eight, nine times a game. And the degree of difficulty in which he makes these shots is probably more impressive than the fact that he's scoring 35 a night. These are tough, contested shots that he's taking and making on a day-to-day basis. And I'm, I'm just really, really excited to see you know, what he's able to do this season, not only in regular season, but once the playoffs begins. And I think that based on what I've seen, he's for sure top 12 in the league. You could argue that he's top five or top 10 right now based on this performance. He's doing things we've never seen before. It's literally reminiscent of Kobe Bryant, may he rest in peace, because of the post work, because of the ability to still dunk. He's getting to the lane. He's showing a glimpses of handle. He's running mid-pick and rolls, but he's also running isolation post-ups. There's not a lot of guys who do isolation post-ups the way he does to where you have to send a double team. So I give a lot of credit to him and his development. I give a lot of credit to his trainer for continuing to get better after 30 in the NBA. It's very tough to do, and he's showing that hard work really, really matters. I'm going to introduce a new segment to the Pull-Up Pod, one I'm thinking people will enjoy, where we basically talk about Highlights, players, trends, moments that nobody around the league is discussing, but should be. People aren't talking about Giannis' dominance enough. Giannis is playing some of the best basketball in his career. He's coming off an MVP season. He's coming off a season in which 
he won the championship. He's averaging 29 points per game, 11 rebounds, six assists. His team is winning. He's flourishing. He looks happy as ever. And his efficiency, his his performance index rating is 21.3, which is outrageous. While shooting 54.7% from the field, he's getting to the free throw line 11 times a game. He's a walk in 25. Now he's a walk in 30. And he's only doing this in 32.6 minutes per game. He just scored 50 points on 17 to 21 shooting from the field. He's knocking down threes. He gave LeBron 44 with four missed shots. He's doing some things that we've never seen before while dominating in the paint. Defensively, he's in the running for defensive player of the year again. But I think it's crazy that people are starting to take his greatness for granted. Like He's improved shooting, shooting 72% from the free throw line, which is a huge improvement to where he was when he first got to the league. He's knocking down threes. He's got a mid-post game. He showed a nice tween-tween, hezzy pull-up on the left baseline um, in his last game, in which I think that sealed the deal for his 50 points. But he just... He has a really good understanding of work ethic, what it takes to be successful, and how to not take things for granted. And I can appreciate that, you know, in seeing his greatness. It's very important that you cue the wine music because I have a very, very good wine that I want to share with everyone. I've been in New Orleans for six days to this day. I've learned a lot about food. I've learned a lot about culture. I actually spent the Super Bowl at Griff's house with some staff, uh, some of the families of, of our organization. And Griff's wife, Meredith, blessed me with a nice bottle um, that I was able to enjoy amongst them. It's a schoolhouse, Napa Valley, Spring Mountain District, Pinot Noir, super, super duper smooth. Very similar to some of the Pinots that you would drink out of Oregon. Price point's not bad, about 65 bucks, depending on where you get it from. Among the top 6% of wines in the world, more light than bold, more smooth than tannic, more dry than sweet, higher in acidity, but there's definitely hints of cherry, cranberry, fruit. Little earthy, but it was a very, very light body, bright cherry, well-balanced, nice length Pinot Noir that I highly, highly recommend. I also blessed her with some Oregon wines, some of my favorites, and I'll be having some more of my favorites brought out here. but. Really good red burgundies out here, really good white burgundies, but this schoolhouse was something that I think people would enjoy. As always, be sure you're following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and also tell a friend to go pick up that new Pelicans number three jersey, NOLA. It looks pretty cool, looks pretty sweet. Hit up the show on social, at Pull Up Pod on Twitter and Instagram. We're posting fresh content all season long, and as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up. <laughs>